The Lord be with you. Also with you. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, you hate nothing you have made, and you forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create in us new and honest hearts, so that truly repenting of our sins, we may receive from you, the God of all mercy, full pardon and forgiveness through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Tonight's first reading is from Joel. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on the holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. Day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Their like has never been from of old, nor will, it, nor will be again after them in ages to come. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord our God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people. Sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And you'd like to just cut her off the corner back later. We are a moment in forever for the behaviors God before the time. We are a vapor. Yeah. 
This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be done, may, may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Praise Christ.
for Lent this year, I'm going to be using our homilies to create some space for us to think together about communion. And so I want to start today with a little thought experiment. Imagine for a second that you were talking to someone who, for whatever reason, had no concept of Christianity whatsoever. And you were tasked with making Christian history, praxis, and teaching accessible to them in some way. My guess is that you would start doing that by telling them about God. You would say that God is the source of our lives, the ground of our being, the goal of creation. And 2,000 years ago, that God was in communion with this human called Jesus of Nazareth. There's also this thing called the Holy Spirit that is also God, but that's sort of confusing, and so don't really worry about that part of it. Or maybe you would talk about history. You would talk about Emperor Constantine giving the church a place of privilege, or you'd talk about the ecumenical councils that define doctrine or the reformation that gave rise to our expression of the church. I would guess what you wouldn't do is start by explaining the sacraments. But why not? After all, the sacraments are by definition instituted by Jesus, and so they must tell us something about who God is and how God works. That probably seems like a kind of backwards idea. We would think you have to understand God to understand the sacraments. But what if we have it the wrong way around? What if you have to understand the sacraments to actually understand God? And so today we're going to begin with the book of Joel. Joel is a prophetic book, so it's in that sort of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos tradition. But it's less concerned with justice and politics and poverty and power. And it's much more concerned with cultic and liturgical practices. This makes it less exciting than Isaiah and Jeremiah, but it makes it useful if you're trying to think about what the sacraments mean. And the vast majority of that reading that we heard tonight is the prophet's invitation for the people to return to their covenant with God. Something bad has happened. You heard that language about there are armies like black clouds on the mountains. It's not good. But if the people recommit themselves to fasting, prayer, and repentance, they can avoid a dangerous fate. Joel writes, rend your hearts and not your clothing, and, but return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Now, this is pretty straightforward prophetic writing so far. There's a covenant. People have drawn away from the covenant. And now they're being invited back into the covenant. But the interesting part of this reading comes in the very last verse, verse 17 to be exact. Because there's a little rubric that gets added in here. And a rubric is just an instruction for what the liturgical leader is supposed to do during the service. So if you open up one of our ELW hymnals, you'll notice it has hymns and it has prayers and all this stuff. But it also has rubrics. And it tells me and the assisting minister and the acolytes sort of go here, do this, don't do this, don't say that. And here's the rubric that Joel gives us. Between the vestibule, the vestibule being like the front of the worship space here, between the vestibule or, or the entryway, between the vestibule and the altar, 
let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. So the presiding minister, you can imagine me doing this, should go out into the middle of the people and cry for God's mercy. And here's the interesting part. The priest is supposed to say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Now that's pretty interesting. Why should God be faithful to the covenant? Well, not just because it's going to be good for the Israelites, but because if God abandons these people, the nations will say, well, where is their God anyway? So you get a second rather unorthodox justification for being in this covenant relationship here. Not only is the covenant good for the people who don't have to suffer through more plagues of locusts, but it's also going to be good for God. Because if God abandons this community of people, who's going to believe God when God makes promises to anybody else? The people of God who are formed, who, who are formed by God's covenant, make God's promises credible. They make it possible for other people to grow in faith and hope and love. So hopefully you can see something of a connection here with how we think about the sacraments. The way we celebrate the sacraments should communicate something intelligible about God to the people around us. That even if you don't understand all of Christian theology or the names of the scriptures, you could look at a celebration of the Eucharist and learn something about our belief in God. Let's take an example of this. One of my mentors who grew up in the post-World War II Lutheran Church in Eastern Pennsylvania described their, uh, their, their Eucharistic practices this way. I'm going to read you the full quote here. Quote, a railing fenced us away from the altar, reinforcing the notion that the area between the rail and the altar was holy ground. The head usher always closed and locked the area or, or closed and locked the pastor inside of the gate. The pastor alone was privileged to go inside the altar rail. When it came to communicating with God, he did all the talking. So he was seen as our go-between. Communion was rare and daunting. You had to be confirmed to receive. Everyone was serious. No one ever smiled. No one ever touched another. Now you can unpack that description line by line and get an idea what this community believed about God. A strong belief in the holiness of the meal, that separation. A default to clerical authority, only the pastor is allowed to talk. Communion is something you achieve by your own merits. You got to do the confirmation class. And the altar rail as a barrier to keep some people out. But the most telling line here, the one that would probably confuse someone trying to learn about Christianity just by watching the Eucharist, is that no one ever smiled. See, the locking altar rail in the altar against the wall are sort of peculiar but the fact that no one ever smiled is just sort of sad. It would be easy to imagine someone seeing the sacrament being celebrated this way for the first time, scratching their head and wondering, well, isn't Jesus supposed to be here? Where is their God? 
Now, the point here isn't that you need to have a huge grin on your face every time you come up for communion. And as your presider, I would probably prefer that you didn't. It's really just to say that for the sacraments to have any integrity in our public life, for them to have any meaning that resonates outside of our own community, we need to act as if the things that we say about them are actually true. That if Jesus is present in the sacrament, then our celebrations should be marked by reverence and respect, sure, but also joy. Does that mean you have to be happy every time you come up for communion? No, happiness and joy aren't the same thing. But it does mean that we should always be thinking about whether our music, our architecture, our practices, and our words convey what we believe to be true about God. And as we go through the rest of Lent, I invite you to keep Joel's question in the front of your mind. When you look at a Eucharist celebration, ask yourself, where is their God? How does what we say, how we sing, and how we eat together communicate something about God? How does our life together communicate the truth that we confess? that we point to ordinary bread and wine, to words of promise and covenant, to people who are sinners and saints, and say, here is our God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you, see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love, we sing holy, 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 open the eyes of my heart, Lord. In the eyes of my heart, I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you.
Dear friends in Christ, today with the whole church, we enter the time of remembering Jesus' Passover from death to life as our life in Christ is renewed. We begin this holy season by acknowledging our need for repentance and for God's mercy. We are created to experience joy in communion with God, to love one another, and to live in harmony with God's creation. But our sinful rebellion separates us from God our neighbors and creation, so that we do not enjoy the life our creator intended. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to a discipline that contends against evil and resists whatever leads us away from love of God and neighbor. So I invite you, therefore, dear friends, to the discipline of Lent, self-examination and repentance, prayer and fasting, sacrificial giving and works of love, strengthened by the gifts of word and sacrament. Let us continue our journey through these 40 days to the great three days of Jesus's death and resurrection. I invite you to unmute yourself as we confess our sin. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most holy and merciful God, we confess and be before the whole company of heaven, that we have seen by our own fault, by our own fault, by our own We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not our mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. We have shut our ears to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. We have grieved your Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us. Our past unfaithfulness, the pride, envy, hypocrisy, and apathy that have infected our lives, we confess to you. Our self-indulgent appetites and ways and our exploitation of other people, we confess to you. Have mercy. Our negligence in prayer and worship and our failure to share the faith that is in us, we confess to you. Our neglect of human need and suffering and our indifference to injustice and cruelty, we confess to you. Our false judgments, our uncharitable thoughts toward our neighbors, and our prejudice and contempt toward those who differ from us, we confess to you. Our waste 
and pollution of your creation and our lack of concern for those who come after us. We confess to you. Have mercy Restore us, O God, and let your anger depart from us. Hear us, Almighty God, you have created us out of the dust of the earth. May these ashes be a sign of our mortality and penitence, reminding us that only by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ are we given eternal life through the same Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. At this time, if you have ashes or you can simply trace the sign of the cross on your forehead, I invite you to do so, remembering that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Accomplish in us, O God, the work of your salvation. By the cross and passion of your Son, our Savior, bring us May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Amen. Relying on the promises of God, we pray boldly now for the church, the world, and all God's people in need. Oh God, you call your church to be ministers of reconciliation throughout the world. Inspire your church in its proclamation of the gospel and guide its ministries to build up the body of Christ. Lord, in your mercy. O God, you created the earth and all its inhabitants, and you declared it good. Protect mountains and valleys, animals and plants, and direct us to be good stewards of all that you have entrusted to us. Lord, in your mercy. O God, you desire peace. Direct governments and leaders to work for the well-being of all people and raise up advocates to speak and serve on behalf of the downtrodden. Lord, in your mercy. O God, you are our hope in the midst of despair, our help in the midst of sorrow, and our consolation in the midst of affliction. Grant comfort to all who suffer in body, mind, or spirit, and support caregivers who attend to those in need. Lord, in your mercy. O oh God, you are our life and our salvation. We give you thanks for the righteous who have died in faith. Inspire us by their witness to proclaim your steadfast love. Lord, in your mercy. O oh God, we entrust ourselves in these prayers to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And may the peace of the Lord be with you always. We can say peace to each other as I get our communion elements ready here.
Let us pray. God, our provider, you have not fed us with bread alone, but with words of grace and life. Bless us and these your gifts, which we receive from your bounty. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And may the Lord be with you. And also, and also with you. you. Lift up your hearts. We Let us give thanks to the Lord, our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. We give you thanks, Father, through Jesus Christ, your beloved Son, whom you sent in this end of the ages to save and redeem us and to proclaim to us your will. He is your word inseparable from you, through whom you created all things and in whom you take delight. He is your word sent from heaven to a virgin's womb. He there took on our nature and our lot and was shown forth as your son, born of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary. He, our Lord Jesus, fulfilled all your will and won for you a holy people. He stretched out his hands in suffering in order to free from suffering those who trust you. He is the one who handed over to death he freely accepted in order to destroy death, to break the bonds of the evil one, to crush hell underfoot, to give light to the righteous, to establish his covenant, and to show forth the resurrection. Taking bread and giving thanks to you said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. Remembering, therefore, his death and resurrection, we take this bread and this cup, giving you thanks that you have made us worthy to stand before you and serve you as your priestly people. Send your spirit on these gifts of your church. Gather into one all who share this bread and wine. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to establish our faith and truth, that we may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom all glory and honor are yours, Almighty Father, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, now and forever. Amen. 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 And gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those and lead us Thank mm -hmm. you. 
Let us pray. Merciful God, accompany our journey through these 40 days. Renew in us the gift of baptism, that we may provide for those who are poor, pray for those in need, fast from self-indulgence, and above all, that we may find our treasure in the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever.
this time we open things up for any announcements, joys, or concerns. Did anyone have anything you want to share with the congregation? The only thing I have is our midweek programming for Lent starts next week. Uh, next Wednesday at 7, we'll start a discussion of Meeting God in Mark by Rowan Williams. It's um, designed to sort of help you get more out of the gospel readings that we'll be reading on Sundays. I know I, I, I know a couple of you thought that the Advent one was a little too, too easy. So uh, this one's a little harder, but it should be fun. There's no advanced reading or prep necessary. Uh, so I invite you to participate in that. And thank you for being flexible with the setup tonight. This worked okay. The last time I did the slides by myself, I remember it was sort of an un unmitigated disaster, um, but we've gotten better at it. All right, I invite you to receive the blessing. May Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless you now and forever. Amen. And may you go forth into the world to serve God with gladness, be of good courage, hold fast to that which is good, render to no one evil for evil. But may you strengthen the faith-hearted, support the weak, help the afflicted, honor all God's people, and love and serve God, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Thank you.